millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Don't stop beating your gums and sound the attack. Alright, hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the We Got The Chocolate podcast. Uh, this is episode 46, in fact. Uh, welcome, guys. Mitch has. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Hey, everyone. How are you? Very well, I think, and you'll be even better after this. How are we going there, guys? Now, yeah, obviously, this is... Um, Blast the listeners' ears out there. Yeah, yeah that was quite loud, and I'll probably try and make that quieter. Uh, that is entitled We Could Reach from the Freedom Trail Studio, which is a big one on our playlist at the moment. Yeah, I've been listening to that all week. Have you actually? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, it would be hard to find because I've just randomly found it in the uh, YouTube audio library. What a place. Um, and obviously, they're not an affiliate partner of the podcast, but someone that is... Yeah, it's a bit groovy, but it would go along with uh, a good drink from Alchemy Australia. So I hope everyone out there listening has got their Alchemy drink of choice in hand. If not, quickly make one. And uh, if you don't have any on hand at, at your house, then maybe buy some online. Um, mm. If you're driving in the car, don't don't worry about it. It's all good. How's he even made a cake with one the other day? Yeah, yeah, we did do that. We're yeah. slowly working on getting a video of it up as well. But Yeah, by slowly working, we mean we haven't made any progress. No, so It'll get there. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Um, guys, exciting episode. Another interview, obviously. Uh, and this time, it is um, a ex-Brisbane Lions player. That wasn't a very subtle fade out there of the music, but I do have a, um, I do have a little grab that I want to play for you. Um, Ex-Brisbane Lions player... Uh, played from the years of 1998 until 2009. Played 208 games, I believe, and kicked 138 goals. Uh, none other than Tim Notting. Well, he has paid advantage, and Tim Notting, Tim Notting will go for goal, and the Lions could be on their way. There you go. Tim Notting, what a guy. Um, and it's a wonderful chat. We'll probably get straight into it. But we, we talk about a lot of things, obviously. His footy career, you have to speak about those premierships um, that they won as a Brisbane Lions unit. But certainly some of the celebration stories, which are fantastic. And then also move into his life uh, after footy as well, don't we, guys? Yeah. yeah. Got, it, got it all in there, really. Yeah, nice chronological order. Should be easy. Mm. Easy to follow. Yeah, That's how we thing. like it. Hey, yeah. All right, guys. Enjoy the interview. Yeah. 
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, today we are again very fortunate to have had a man of uh, great quality agree to be the interviewee on this week's podcast. Today's guest is an ex-AFL player for the Brisbane Lions and a one-club player, actually. Um, He went at pick number 26 in the 1996 National Draft, played 208 games between 1998 and 2009, kicked 138 goals and was a dual premiership player in that elite Brisbane Lions side that we will never forget. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, this is Tim Notting. I'm hoping that we've got him, that he can hear us. Timmy there. Yeah, boys, help me out. Outstanding. <laughs> very, very good. Now, Tim, I've got to ask, is this, uh, is this obviously we've sort of been tipped off about this, but is this your podcast debut? I've heard a strong rumour that you may not have even listened to a podcast before, let alone been on one. No, nah, that is correct. This is my debut. I haven't listened to one at all, so <laughs> it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. All right, on debut. Outstanding. Uh, Tim, this is Sam here. Uh, we, we try and ask questions that you haven't been asked 15,000 times before in interviews in your life and stuff, so uh, is there any pattern you've seen in terms of questions people like to hit you with uh, once they work out who you really are? Yeah, once they work it out, well, there's a few, it depends on who they are, really. There's always the grand final ones and, and <laughs> what track I like and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, who's more famous out of you and your wife all that sort of, <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah. very good yeah. well we've probably had all of those on the list so strike those out <laughs> yeah good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice um, Tim if we could just try and get a little bit of an uh, indication sort of about your early years there's a couple of things that we need to clarify because you're actually a difficult man to, uh, to do some Wikipedia searches on um, the internet is not overly clear or reliable in terms of whether you were actually born in Victoria or Queensland <laughs> I'm certainly not from Cairns. That's, that's wrong. I don't know where they got that from. Okay. I'm a Wikipedia. No, I'm Victorian. You are Victorian. Uh, little country town. Little country town down in country Victoria. I was born and bred in Witchy Proof. Jeez, that's and a tough one to grew, say. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and spell. And <laughs> you grew up mainly in Stall, home of the Stall Gifts. So. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, yeah I would have got that one wrong. I'm looking on Wikipedia. So. Yeah, you went with, you went with the Cairns yeah, one yeah. as well. Yeah, and snicked us off. Um, no, because we thought there might have been some confusion as well, Tim, because I'm not sure if you're aware, but there's actually a um, really, really well-known American artist also named Tim Nodding, like a painter. Really? Yeah, yeah. and he, I, I, he's got like a little sort of grey stubbly beard. I have seen him. Yeah, um, that's him, exactly. Yeah. He contacted me on Facebook years ago. Yeah, it was a bit weird, but um, <laughs> I'm not on Facebook anymore. So. Did you get yourself up just because of that guy contacting you? Mainly. <laughs> I mean, but no, there was a fair few other reasons. But, um, yeah, you get addicted to that sort of stuff. So um, yeah. I'm in the process of probably getting off Twitter because I'm a bit saying <laughs> the wrong thing sometimes. So yeah, well, actually, oh, Mitch, right. Mitch was having a look at your Twitter profile this morning. Mitch was quite a fan of it, though. Yeah, um, it. <laughs> in terms of trying to educate people about superannuation, it's very, very negative. Twitter's very negative, so and I'm very negative on it. So I probably should get away from it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Tim, so you grew up in country Victoria. I just wanted to ask you, was footy like sort of always your number one sport growing up or, or did you dabble with any others? Yeah, footy was probably number one for a long time. Basketball was right up there. Um, I didn't play a lot of cricket, but there was not much in the country town of Victoria. It was cricket in the summer, basketball coming pretty late with the Jordan era coming in. That was when I was growing up, so oh, basketball yeah. come quite big. Yeah, okay. um, but mainly footy, uh, my parents played footy, all my brothers played footy, mum was in it. Most people don't know, but the country Victorian football club is a netball club as well, so you don't oh, get yeah. split up. So it's pretty good down there where you, your mum would play netball, dad would play footy, 
brothers or sisters would all be in the one club, so you'd travel everywhere together on the weekend. Yeah, right. That's so exactly the same in South Australia. Like country footy in South Australia, they do the same thing. So netball, like the netball clubs will play against each other at like in the morning and then the footy clubs play against each other and then they will get pissed after the game. It's awesome. <laughs> Interesting. Perfect. Yeah, basically the dad convinces the mum to be the driver and it's worked out really well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that, uh, that extra height probably helped you in uh, basketball as well. But, I mean, fast forward a few years to the age where you started, it started to become apparent that you were more than just a handy footy player. At what age do you sort of start to entertain the prospect of being drafted and what, what does that pathway sort of look like from there? Yeah, it didn't happen... Like you always have, as a kid, you have that vision that you want to you know, play AFL and you're, you know, watching footy on TV all the time and you dream that you want to become an AFL player. But it wasn't until sort of year 12, year 11 and 12, where I started to play against men. Like I was sort of 16 playing senior footy and playing pretty well. So, but I was out in the country country, so it was hard to get noticed until sort of some guys noticed me. I started playing with the Ballarat Rebels. And the likes of sort of Adam Goods was in the same team and all these players were playing pretty good footy at that under-18 level. And that's when I sort of started to think, yeah, maybe there's a chance. But still, it was only three or four kids would get drafted out of the Ballarat team. You know what I mean? So there was still a long shot. Um, but I got the opportunity to, when the AFL had reserves, I got the opportunity to fill in for Richmond and play three or four games in the reserves. And that's when I sort of thought, oh, there might be a chance here. Yeah, awesome. Okay. That's good. That's awesome, yeah. And then just, I just wondered, Tim, like if this has changed at all over the years, but when it when it finally does get to like that draft night, um, do you do you attend? Like how, how did it sort of work in, in those days in terms of like, do you have any, do you have some idea on that night that you're probably a massive chance of going? Well, you do have, you do know, you do have like you have, you've got to actually nominate for the draft. Yeah. And a lot of clubs will send you out a nomination form. So, they, you know, they're interested. Some will ring you the night before. Yeah, I had okay. a phone call the night before or two nights before saying that Richmond were going to take me, but they weren't going to take me with their first pick because back then there was 17-year-olds. The best 17-year-olds normally went first yeah. um, in the draft because they'd try and get them early because you could take one 17-year-old. But, so you did, you did know. A lot don't know, but... I was sort of informed that I was probably going to go to Richmond, but Brisbane took me beforehand. Oh, okay. So they just right. beat him, beat him. That's quality. And there was one, there was only one spot in the draft. Like Richmond had the next pick. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Were you hoping? Like, do do you genuinely actually sit there like hoping to go to any particular club? Like, I don't know. Who did you support as a as a young fella? Oh, I grew up following St Kilda, yeah. um, and so I'm pretty comfortable. I'm, didn't go there um, in the draft. They sort of haven't um, excelled or, or certainly haven't won any premierships. But mm. now, where I sat with my thought process and how confident I was to get drafted, I was just happy to go. I wasn't going yeah. to be a number. I didn't think I was like 26 in the draft was pretty high for what I thought yep. anyway. But I didn't have that confidence to say I'm definitely going to get drafted. Mm. So I was just happy to go anywhere. I was happy to, I was moving from home. Whether I went to Brisbane or Melbourne, anyway, it's a three-hour trip to Melbourne, anyway, from where I live. Yeah, true. And your, I guess your experience is probably different to some players in that you you actually went like as the Brisbane Lions. It was their first year as the Brisbane Lions, wasn't it? Like the, the first year of the merger. So that that must have been an interesting experience in its own right. Yeah, it was. Uh, that's, so Matt Primus. So Brisbane got to choose. I think it was eight of the best, eight or ten of the best Fitzroy players. They got first crack at them. 
and Matt, they chose Matt Primus as one of them, and he didn't want to go to Brisbane because of our ruck stocks were pretty strong with Clark Keating and uh, Matthew Clark at the time. Okay. So he, Matt Primus, did not want to go to Brisbane. So Port Adelaide, which were new into the club or new into the competition that year, they said, well, we'll take Primus. We'll give you two of our draft picks, and that was uh, me and Rory Hilton picked number three. And it was interesting times because the Fitzroy guys didn't, they didn't really want to be there at the start. Brisbane players didn't really want them there either because yeah. I'd taken their spots. It was a, and it was, yeah, it was definitely an interesting time. I sat in the middle because we were, we were drafted and Roy Hilton had done a knee, so he was sort of on the outer anyway. He was, yeah, it was a bit weird, but mm. took a while to gel. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. right. And then, so when that when that merger first occurred, there were probably sort of some mixed results initially. Is it fair to say that the arrival of Lee Matthews sort of brought a bit of a different mindset? I know I would have only sort of remembered him from his, his time in the media, I suppose, but I've got fuzzy memories of him blowing up in the coach's box and stuff. Can you tell us a bit about what he was like as a coach? Yeah, he was. Um, it was pretty. It was. He was a hard coach, but he was also a fair coach. But mm. when he turned up, everything changed. We had, he brought in his guys, so he goes right over. Everything's going to change from now. We're going to get try and get the best physios. We're going to try and get the best doctors here in Brisbane, and we're going to have assistant coaches that I want. So it was a full clean out, and he got rid of players that he didn't think were any good, or you know, a certain amount you can't get rid of anyway. But slowly but surely, that things changed, and we had good draft picks after that. Like we got the likes of Simon Black and Brown and Luke Power and all these guys coming on the back of it, but they already had. The Nigel Athens and the Michael Vosses and the Ackers and the Leppiches, which were all really high draft picks anyway. Yeah. So when he came in and turned the completely turned the training program around, trained completely different. He said, "No one's working. We're going professional. We're going to work out the best recovery from training into games and all that sort of stuff through the doctors and the physios and the and that. So that's where it sort of completely changed. We were a rabble like free to that. Like we were. Looking back on it now, you go, we would train pre-season. This is pretty bad. We'd train Friday afternoon and then we'd be at Caxton Street basically from Friday till Monday morning. <laughs> the whole weekend. You'd have a three-day weekend. Every weekend, you didn't have to train until Monday afternoon. It was pretty bad looking back on it. It was pretty good at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the idea of recovery from trade of it. He was pretty ahead of his time then, Lee Matthews, because like I mean, that's like the norm now. But probably then it obviously wasn't. Mm. Yeah, it was. And considering, say, when he got there, your minimum wage was still about twenty-five or thirty grand. So he was telling people that we're going to pay you twenty-five grand, but you can't do anything else. Yeah, like yeah, right. for a first and second year player, it was pretty. So you got billeted out for families and and all that sort of stuff. But it's the the wage once once back started becoming the norm and that's when the wages also had to be brought up to, to speed as well mm-hmm. yeah, fair. yeah right and were you, were you on the on the receiving end of any of those cracking sprays that he dished out in the coach's box or have you got any stories from him there not in the coach's pre-season training once for his first year um, <laughs> it was a night before we break up for Christmas and we're, we're like gearing up for everyone used to fly out book their flights we're going home we're going back to Melbourne or Perth or, or wherever it was but I swung onto my left foot at training and I flushed a kick and I thought it was a beautiful left foot kick. It was spun perfectly and Brett Ross, Michael's younger brother, um, I think he short-armed it, but it went just over the top of his head and <laughs> he brought everyone in and just teed off on me. Don't try and impress me with your 
effing left foot. Straighten up, <laughs> kick it on your right. I'm just like, yeah, right. Nice to have it this. Um, but then, you know, he like back out of the train. But then he met at the airport. He was on the same flight as us going to Melbourne. Him and Gabby Allen and Manson and O'Brien were in row 56. And they were up in row one. So he swapped, swapped seats and goes, look, sorry about that. I was just making a point to the to the whole group to, you know, if you can straighten up. Yeah, you just copped it. So I was like, oh, thanks, mate. But no, I was, and, and I think it was also a bit of a, right, you're about to, you, this is my first pre-season with this team. You're about to go on a break. I'm seriously, yeah, I'm going to blow up right before the Christmas break so we didn't let our hair down too much for yeah, the, three, yeah, okay. the three weeks we got off. Yeah, smart. Yeah. It's tactical. <laughs> yeah. like that. Now, uh, Tim, you might... Might wonder where I got a few of my questions from during the interview, and uh, and mm. I've actually been able to get hold of a couple of your former teammates, so they've <laughs> they've given me a little bit of information. But um, <laughs> the first one, you might be able to guess who they are by the end of it. We'll, we'll wait and see. But we got the inside word that you had some ear issues early in your career. Can you tell us about them? Well, yeah, I I did have a I had me and Tex Walker have the same ears. I don't know if you've seen a photo of Tex Walker, but one of my ears is. Stuck out more than the other, um, okay. Which was which was not great. Um, and I used to blame it from when I was a kid. And I was a prick of a kid, and my dad used to grab me by the same ear every time and uh. tell me to get outside. But um, now I was born a bit with it without a crease in the ear, and it took me a while. And somehow I managed to manipulate the doctors to get me in for a bit of surgery and fix it up and make make them both the same. So um, yeah, there was a few, there was a few issues with one of my ears, but. Um, Probably should have kept it because the footy sort of slowly went downhill after that. <laughs> Three off balance. And for the balance issues, I'm looking at a photo of Taylor Walker now. And you're definitely right. I just never noticed that before. So, exactly the same year as Taylor Walker. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was just paranoid because I thought, oh, if I'm going bald, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to try and cling onto my hair. I'm going to go. I'll just go to shave and shave it all. So with one big ear, it's going to look pretty ordinary. So I thought I'll get in before I go bald and. Fix up. You've never actually gone bald though, have you? Like we've took, looked at a couple of current photos of you. you look like you're going very strong with the hairline. No, I am. We're getting it's it's thick. It's just going grey at oh, the moment. Okay. But yeah, yeah. no, it's it's pretty thick. We have a hairdresser come over um, to our house, and I just say, "How's it going with the bald? Is it going bald?" She says, "No, it's still thick. It's still thick." So we'll keep getting her in every time until she says it's going thin, and then we'll we'll get a new hairdresser. Yeah, then obviously need someone else. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, uh, Tim, we try to avoid asking this, you know, early doors, but um, but obviously you were a member of the two premiership wins in 2001 and 2002 for the Brisbane Lions. Um, so I guess I, I would just assume, I don't want to ask a, a closed question, I'd just assume that they're probably reasonably fond memories from, from that time in your life, I guess, especially from coming in your first couple of seasons, like you talked about, where it was quite a weird, took a while to gel. That, that must have been quite a reward. Yeah, well, I like- um, it's hard to until you finish and you look back it doesn't sort of sink in but uh, you go oh, just going through some old stuff and you've got a few jumpers down there that the kids are starting to play around in that are pretty significant jumpers in certain games that we played during the, those years um, but they, yeah they're great memories and something that you know you look back on and go oh that was it was an awesome time we had a period where even pre- those two grand, the three grand finals, we, we made a prelim and a, and a second semi or a, or a qualifying. And then obviously we made the grand final in the fourth one. So we had a six or seven year period there where we were, we were pretty successful. Mm. Um, on the back of those early years where we 
got the wooden spoon and finished pretty pretty poorly. So, and the players and the, and the memories that you got along the way um, from those, those couple of years where you won were, were pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very fair. I know I was probably pretty young at the time, but I can remember watching those sort of few dominant years there. And I specifically remember the sort of guys like Jake and, Jason Ackermanis with his, his doing like handstands on the boundary line and stuff like that. I wanted to ask if you had any sort of party tricks or little crowd-pleasing skills that you put on display that sort of rivaled that. Nah, nothing at all. I was, uh, <laughs> I was, pretty, I was pretty tame on the field and, and pretty reserved. Um, until I got out later on at night, and then I had a few party tricks that we won't talk about, but um, okay, right. we'll save them for another time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's actually it's interesting that you say that, now, Tim, because we actually myself and Mitch here we've uh, we play footy for Alex Hills here in Brisbane, um, and we've had uh, one of your ex teammates, Daryl White, has played for us for the last. For three years, I think he's like forty-seven. He still dominates. Um, he's, an yeah, absolute, yeah. he's an absolute Jedi, and he doesn't really look like he's showing any signs of retiring either. Just quietly. Uh, <laughs> no, he's a freak. What well, he, he? I think he still plays up in Darwin in the wet season as well. So he's just yeah. a full-time, all-year-round footballer. But yeah, no, he's a freak. What he? I think I played against Alex when I was playing at Yeronga for a few years. Oh, seriously? All right. We were going to ask about cool. sort of your post-footy career. Yeah, because, well, you played like proper, was it Neeful then when you, or was it something like Quaffle or something? Because you played for Labrador or something, didn't you? Yeah, I went to Labrador for three years post-Lions post and we got rolled in the grand final against Morningside. Oh, and then I had a pretty bad knee knee reconstruction in the second year while I was at Labrador and had the, had the Lars put in and um, that sort of slowed me down a fair bit. And then, yeah, so I went there for three years and, had a, it, was, it was good to go from that elite training and preparation to stepping it back a bit, having a beer on a Thursday night after training and just getting back to what I used to enjoy before that with my local club because my local club was a real social footy club. Mm. So we'd go into Labrador and then back to Yoronga where it was even a few steps down there again where you could have a beer on a Thursday night and yeah. it was not ran upon, you know, it was good. Yeah. No, that's right. And because um, what I was actually getting out there, Tim, is yeah, Daryl. Daryl did mention that he's he's an outstanding storyteller, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, when he would have a have a beer after a game on a Saturday afternoon, but he he said that sort of you you did actually earn some sort of uh, three vote performances in nights out afterwards that you guys certainly knew how to celebrate some of those premiership wins. Yeah, well, we yeah we we, we certainly did. We um, we're renowned for celebrating pretty hard, and we're. we're because a lot of us were for, from interstate, when we first got here, that's all we sort of, we didn't have outside friends. That, so we always went out together. Mm. So we were around as a team that was pretty strong. We would always go out together and always celebrate our wins together. And yeah, there was a few, um, a few good footy trips where I got a few three voters. But <laughs> we, had a, uh, we, had a, we had an award on our footy trip. We thought of the down low medal. Um, and it was a green. It was a green jacket, and every year you'd you'd vote on who was the best performance for the footy trip, and you got your name embroidered on the jacket and what year it was. So yeah, I got a couple. I got a couple of those awards. I think I'm the only one won three. So. Jeez, oh, we might have to good. get Tim. We might have to get your help for organising footy trips from now on. <laughs> go to you, mate. We sit down from round one. Me and Brandy would sit down and go right. Where's the trip? How are we going to start raising funds? Well, that was our whole year revolved around where the footy trip was, where we're going to go, how much money was going to cost everyone, how can we get as many people there as we could. <laughs> um, and we didn't care where we went. 
And, and are they just like you're raising money just with like old fashioned fines meeting sort of thing, like where people do dumb stuff, which is sting them? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of the time, like we used to have a, a red faces sort of night, like a performance. Like, so you'd get together with three or four of your teammates and you'd advertise it with the line members and all that sort of stuff. And you'd put a, perform, like a whole night on and they'd pay to come and watch. And ra- yeah, you'd raise money the whole through that. Okay. Um, but Lee didn't like the idea of highly paid footballers. Charging people to go and charging people that probably weren't as highly paid to come and watch them do stupid stuff. <laughs> that sounds like a perfect but business was, model. You know, but it was, yeah, but it was, you know, they loved it. They actually wanted to go and do it. So it was actually getting back in, mingling with that sort of crowd. And it was a bit more lighthearted. You'd have a few beers, and the last show of the night would normally be a full Monty, and the boys would be nude, all the young folks would be up there getting nude, and <laughs> they'd, they'd end up winning the, winning the night or whatever it was. But yeah. Probably no, wouldn't see as much of that in 2020, would you? Yeah. Well, I don't think any of them do it at all. Okay. Right. It was a little bit like so it was a bit, little bit like the grand final of the old school footy show where each team would do a performance sort of thing. And, yeah. But no, our footy trips was always a focal point for, for most of our career. That's <laughs> fantastic. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There were whispers that you might have been seen uh, riding a quad bike through South Bank one, one time, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, um, yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of a story on that one. That was the first grand final. So, yeah, the, the first grand final we won, CUB had made a commemorative Carlton Mid-Strength beer can and had a photo on the back of the can. Oh, I'd love that. So we had a, a trip down to CUB to launch that the Mid-Strength beer can and um, a guy, Dave Argus, who owns the Ploughing Hotel, he always sort of looked after us along the way with his pubs and things like that. So he got us all back to his pub later on that night and being a country lad, we're up on the balcony, Yahoo, and all dressed in our lion gear. Yahoo and carrying on. And it must have been a Wednesday night, I think, because they must have been packing up the market. Me and Brandon said, both look down there and go, have a look at that. Have a look at that. Motorbike. Brandon goes, oh, I can ride that pretty easy. I said, yeah, easy. Instead <laughs> of letting him do it, I thought I'll do it. So I went for a bit of a... It took me about, I probably obviously had a few under the belt, but I shouldn't have um, obviously got on it because it took me about 10 minutes to work out how to start it. But then I just did a nice little quiet lap around South Bank with the arm raised to the boys at the, at the pub and I wrote roar. <laughs> but when I got it back around the corner near South Bank Beach, security guards all come running over to me and go, Oi, come here. We're going to take you to the coppers. Da, 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 da. And I said, No, you're not. So then I'd hightail it with 
four or five security guards chasing me back down past the pub again. Wow. Hand raised in the air like I was in doing a 100 metre sprint. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've had to go um, from playing a grand final to still getting your sprint efforts up in the post game. Yeah, it didn't work out that well because I, I couldn't go back to the pub that night because they went into the pub and the publican paid them off, I think, with cartons of Crown Lager. It cost him about five or six cartons of Crown Lager and said. <laughs> so you weren't in the good books then? <laughs> I wasn't in the good book, but he thought it was great. He, he loves that story every time we go in there and, and see him, he brings it up. So. Yeah, the plough in's still a great watering hole, actually, isn't it? Oh, it's one of the best, one of the best in Brisbane, I reckon, for, for a couple of quite years there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Um, and then, mate, can you tell us a bit about what happened in 2003 for you? Because obviously you, you played a good chunk of the first half of the season, I think, and then sort of missed the, missed the back end with an injury. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were... We're sort of just we're winning footy, but we weren't dominating the line. And I think it might have been yeah mid mid year the league league one of his statements again. I'm going to drop drop five players. So and what and Daryl White was one of them. So me, Daryl White, Ash McGrath, five of us got dropped to reserve to play against Macavat. And first two minutes of the reserve game, I dislocated fractured my elbow, so I was heading straight into surgery. And missed about nine or ten games, um, and then I got myself running a lot, fit but not footy fit. So we thought, oh, he's back, he's fit as we'll put him. But I played one game in the reserves, and he put me back in the team because they wanted some more run. And I just wasn't wasn't right for the rest of the year. I was heavily taped up. Although I played most of the rest of the season, but then got myself suspended in the first final against Collingwood and, and Mr. Missed the home final in Brisbane and this guy called Richard Hadley, uh, not the cricketer, but Richard Hadley, the footballer, came in and played a real good game and he kept kept the spot and went on to win, his, win a grand final. Okay, right. Yeah, okay. Apparently, uh, even though you didn't play the, the, the grand final there, you had a bit of fun celebrating the win, maybe running out onto the field after the game. Well, yeah, so I, yeah, I was... I was I was disappointed that I didn't get picked, and I thought this is this is one of my legitimate regrets. Uh, the way I sort of handled that couple of weeks, so I sort of just took that as my my game's over, my week's over. I'm going to start drinking during the game. Yeah. So me and a couple of guys having a few beers in the crowd, and yeah, looking back, I was pretty, and I and I do regret doing that. Um, while the guys were out there playing, I shouldn't have been shouldn't have been drinking and. Um, I didn't run onto the ground. All the all, we were sitting up with all the players, partners, and wives, and they basically said, "You got to go on, go on." I didn't want to go on. Anthony Curry, I think, was doing laps celebrating as though he won. But um, I went. I just went on there and congratulated the guys. And yeah, um, but uh, Lee certainly made us aware of it on the Monday that yeah. we were drinking, and he knew, and he went right off. That was one of his all-time biggest praise after that. We just won three grand finals. We thought, how good is this? Come yeah. into the meeting on Monday, absolutely just tore strips off me, a couple of other guys that were drinking, a couple of other articles that were written by players that he'd thought that they got ahead of themselves. Um, right. Yeah, the media, so that was a back down to earth pretty quickly after winning the third in my own. Yeah, right. Jeez. I wasn't aware that that was such a hard-hitting question, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, no, neither. I <laughs> yeah, that was a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. Uh, but, well, I, well, I got put up. 
basically after that, I was still sort of pretty young and they tried to trade me. I still had a year to go on my contract and they put me up to be traded to wherever I wanted to go, basically. So, yeah, they wanted to get some value out of me still yeah. through the draft because they thought that they were losing draft picks. And they thought that they could get something decent and I could then go to wherever I wanted and still have five or six good years left in the other club. Tim, does but that... Oh, sorry, I've interrupted yeah, you. Yeah. That was poor. Um, no, I was just, I was just going to ask. Does, does that like that? Because that happens a lot. We see that a lot in AFL uh, footy, like in terms of you know players being discussed as trade options or putting up, being put up for trade. Um, does that affect like your relationship with the club, like long term after that? In terms of like the fact that you obviously ended up staying at the Brisbane Lions, is that something that that affected your performance or, or that you had in the back of your mind, or is it just business as usual? No, it doesn't. It, did, well, it sort of does at the time. You're know, thinking like I just, you know, battled for the last eight years to try and do everything right, and then boom, that sort of thing happens, and it affects you at the time. But then, because I was contracted, I did, and I knew that I had that injury, and I was also battling a, a patellar tendonitis injury as well. Um, so I knew that my best footy was I could still play some really good footy, and I still had a year to go in my contract, and um, yeah, so. I was confident that, you know, I could perform for the team and all that sort of stuff. So I just had to go here for Matt Macau. And and having a year to go on your contract, the player has that up his sleeve. So yeah. they can't trade you. And, you know, you just... So I just sort of stayed and it sort of panned out all right. I had a pretty pretty good year in 2004, even though we lost the... I think I played every game in 2004. And even though we lost, lost the grand final, we still kind of... Had a good year. Mm. Um, and I've been also asked to, I hope that this isn't quite as hard-hitting question this month, <laughs> yeah. but I'm um, told to ask about a, a trip to New Orleans, footy trip where you had a keep him alive bucket. That's right. <laughs> this is a brilliant, brilliant invention, I would say. Well, yeah, we sort of had this. I got, that was one of the best footy trips I've been on. We had 11 nights away. Five in New Orleans and six in Vegas. And New Orleans doesn't, there's always somewhere open to go. Mm. It doesn't, like there's pubs that open at one o'clock in the morning and go through to a town. It's a crazy place. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it's a really laid back, no real dress code sort of town. Right. And we were, we, were, we were so pumped. So for some reason, the blokes were starting to get a bit tired a couple of days in. And I don't know who's. Whose idea it was or what it was, but yeah, there was a big bucket of ice cold water that if you look like you're starting to stagger, one of the boys would just grab you and throw your head in it as long as you could and then try and wake you up a bit and uh, get back into it. But there was just a bit of fun in the little local pub before we head out, but all the locals would get involved and it was, yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> That's outstanding. Oh, I love that. We're bringing that in, definitely. Um, take that on. Um, Tim, we often ask about uh, about nicknames on, on this particular podcast, um, and yours yours is uh, slightly different. Your nickname amongst footy circles, from what we understand, is Possum. That'd be right? That's correct, yep. Yeah, and can, can you explain to us how that one came about? It's not because of your thick hair, is it? No, nah, no. Nah. Well, there's a few theories, and I'll... I'll run you through a couple of them. But the first one, we had an army camp to Kananga Army Base and we uh, trained pretty hard for three or four days and John Nordy was the coach and he liked to let the players let their hair down. So we were just thinking we're going up there to get flogged, trying, uh, 
Pine Hills, Goose Stretcher Runs, all of the army stuff that you see on TV all the time that teams are doing. Buddy had organised a bus to go into Broadbeach for a night out, and this is my first year at the footy club, not knowing anyone, country lad, like a few beers. I got caught out with Craig Lambert, one of the older guys, had all these little drinking games and sculling games and party tricks, and unbeknownst to him that I was drinking with him and he was giving me doubles and I was having singles and or vice versa or how it worked out, but he stitched me up big time. Right. So when I we got back on the bus to head into town, I was I was in no state to be even doing anything. So I ended up uh, curled up under a tree when I got off the bus. Um, someone had to carry me and put me into my bed. But then the next morning I woke up and there was this possum. I don't know how I got in my room, but a legitimate possum in my bed. So I just didn't know what to do. Turned the light on, which made it worse. It went mental. So I opened up. I opened up a dark door, and it just ran in there, which was the toilet, which I shared with another player. So I just locked it, and went back to bed, deal with it later. And then two hours later, Marcus Ashcroft got up and went to go to the toilet, and there's this angry possum. Huge possum in, in the toilet, so he couldn't even go to the toilet either. Then. <laughs> that was a, that was the main that, that was the main reason for the killed up under a tree. And then um, I, I blamed a few of the boys for throwing it in my room, but um, yeah, no, nah, that was that was uh, and then it stuck, this sort of stuff. But I can see why that one would stick. That's uh, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Tim, I wanted to ask because obviously, I guess in AFL, drawn games are, are, are fairly rare feat, um, but I think you were involved throughout your career in at least four of them. I was wondering if you sort of remember any of those. Do they stick out in your memory at all? Oh, they don't. I think there okay. was Richmond. Yeah, that's one. I think yeah, there was yeah. a Richmond one we drew, and there might have been either North Melbourne or the Western Bulldogs, I could remember. Yep, North Melbourne was one of them, yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. I think the other, has the other two were Essendon and Sydney, I think. Yep. That's what that's what I found. Yeah, there you go. I don't certainly don't remember the Essendon one. Um, okay. but I think the Sydney one. Yeah, we always had really tight games against Sydney, so that doesn't surprise me at all. But they're just a weird feeling when you come a draw. Like, yeah, I'm all for. I know it doesn't happen often in AFL, but it happens in the league a bit. I'm all for extra time or golden point or it's just a numb, dull feeling when you come a draw. I just don't like, and that's probably the reason I don't enjoy soccer as much because. It can be a nil-all draw or a one-all draw yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah, it'd be a strange so, feeling, wouldn't it, getting mm. to the end of the game and sort of you don't know if you're meant to be so upset. I remember it happened in a grand final. I can't remember what year it was, but like in a grand final, uh, they had to replay. I think it was 2011, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. it was. And then they just had to come back the next week and play again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such an, and depending on who it is, like they, St Kilda were just destroyed injuries. Going, they just, a lot of their players got up, just got up to play the first grand final. Mm. And they, you know, what you sometimes you've got to get a lot of time skills and all that sort of stuff just to get up to play grand final, and then you come a draw and you've got to try and do it again. Yep. So yeah. they, were just, they were beat up and they just didn't recover, yeah. recover from it. Yeah, that's a tough ask. Um, and you mentioned that you, you had a lot of close games with Sydney, um, but obviously you sort of played in one of the most dominant teams in the AFL, I think. Um, are there any other teams that you sort of felt like you struggled against? I think there are only two that you ended up losing more games to than you won against. And you've named one of them already. Yeah, Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, so Sydney was always pretty competitive. Um, West Coast got the better of us towards the end, probably. Yeah, that is is the other one. That's the other one. But but that was the Chris Judd. 
yeah. being cousins, yeah, okay, sort right. of being cockier where they come up here. And, and we, West Coast, like a lot of Melbourne teams, we come up to Brisbane and play us in a heat and they just couldn't deal with it. Where West Coast sort of deal with that heat all summer. Yeah. So they actually enjoy getting out of their cool environment and playing up, and they sort of always seem to play pretty well at the Gabba. Like some, well, I think there was a period where West Coast would win in Brisbane and we would win over in, in Perth sometimes. So yeah, um, yeah, they were, they were probably the most competitive in that. And they obviously in the early two thousands or mid two thousands they played off in a couple of grand finals against each other. So they were probably when they were beating us as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, Tim, we don't want to harp on the obviously the negative. We prefer talking about the ones you won, but the obviously the loss in in two thousand four. Not not so much about that game, but did it? Was there like a collective sense of the fact that it was a little bit sort of an end of an era? Like there were people retiring. Obviously, Alistair Lynch would have been suspended for three and a half years after that game, so um, he <laughs> he retired anyway. So w- w- did you sort of know that that was probably the end of an era a little bit? Yeah, we probably did, but we still had a. a a pretty good group of young, sort of the early, I suppose, the mid to late twenty-year-olds that were still the key to the thing. But to get up for so long, we I think, and, and to travel like to travel all that time, um, as, as you see with the Freeman on the West Coast team, there's not many three hundred plus game players that play for, for the Perth-based teams because they've got to travel. So it's it's just taxing on your body. Yeah. So we were doing a lot of travelling, and over that period of time, four finals. I think in that six-year period where we played a lot of finals, that was an extra whole year of football that we played that against a team that might not have played finals. Yeah, true. So it worked out to be about twenty-three or twenty-five finals or something that we played in that six-year block. Mm. So it, it does get get to you, but that that two thousand and the loss, the last one was that was a stitch up. The AFL had that. Agreement that a final had to be played at the MCG every week. A final, there had to be one game there. Like we finished second on the ladder, and um, I think the preliminary finals was against Geelong, who finished fifth. But we had to play them at the MCG. Yeah, that's right. Like it just didn't. They just yeah, and it was on the and we had to play on the Saturday night. We Port Adelaide played Friday night. We had to fly back to Brisbane and do it all again and. We were pretty banged up. Brandon had his knee and had that much, that many injections into his knee, <laughs> trying to get him up to play. He had surgery straight after the game. You said you mentioned Lynchy went out swinging. He tore his quad. That's why he started swinging. <laughs> oh um, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he tore his quad, and that was it for him for the rest of the game. Couldn't go back. He tore his quad. You'll, if you see the footage, he comes back up pretty heavily taped up. But um, yeah, so there was a few, and the, the week before, Sean Hart. Um, ran into Daniel Bradshaw and broke his back of his skull both sides of his nose down to his jaw. Jeez. Caved his whole head in, in the prelim. So he didn't play, which he was pretty important to the midfield group. And yeah. we just, yeah. Also, a, not a great, life, thought. also not a great advertisement for his headgear that he wore his whole career to, poor fella. No, exactly right. Hit him right in the middle, missed everything. Yeah, that's so, right. Um, he was in, in a bad way and... And it wasn't in of an era. Like, you had Mark Sashkoff retiring, Alistair Lynch, and they were, um, they'd been there forever sort of thing. But, yeah. you know, it was it was time that you can't keep winning in the AFL forever because the draft doesn't let you. Yeah, the good point. The doesn't let you because for four years we played the grand final, we finished first and second, 
our first draft picks for 20-something, 2020. So you're not getting a high draft pick. Yeah, that's sort of how the system's so designed, isn't it? Yeah, and eventually you're going to fall off. You know, players are taking pay cuts to stay with the group together and that starts to wear thin on certain people and clubs are often on big money to go home and all that sort of stuff happens. So it, it's never going to never going to um, stay together. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, Tim, we actually opened up, uh, we opened up sort of the, the question, well, to our listeners, we sort of said, look, we're having a chat to Tim Nodding. Is there anything that you would like to ask him? Um, a couple of questions that we thought were, were quite interesting. Um, first one regarding the biggest kick uh, that you've seen. Someone said, is Josh, Josh Drummond the biggest kick that you've seen or played with in the AFL? Oh, he's he's not the biggest kick I've ever seen. He's one of the best kicks by mile. He he was he he look away kick was phenomenal. He, he yeah, Daniel Richards a big kick. Oh, um, yeah, true. But we we played it like Ben Graham was playing at Geelong when I was playing. Dad, the two Rocker brothers were very big kicks. They went um, to the NFL as punters. Or Ben Graham went like over to the NFL, didn't he? As a punter. Yeah, Ben Graham and both Rocker boys had a crack over in the, as punters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was a few big. Justin Fletcher was a big kick for Essendon. Um, there was always one or two in, the, in each team. That Shannon Hearn, uh, Stewie Jew was a big kick, and he's a big man. Yeah. Um, but Josh Drummond was a big kick, but he was elite. He would pinpoint you from fifty or sixty metres every time. Like yeah. unbelievable kick for That's the footy. Not a bad skill to have, I guess. Yeah, well, I can kick at thirty. Oh, so pretty happy with that. <laughs> yeah, maybe we need to <laughs> need to measure Lee and Mitch and see how. how <laughs> Far the biggest kick is open goal square with the win. I'm dribbling one in from 41, I reckon. 41, <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the best thing about when I played, like Lee would just because I, I was a decent kick, I didn't kick it long, but I wasn't the greatest kick accuracy. But we had Alistair Lynch, Daniel Bradshaw, and Brandy in our forward line. And Lee just says, kick it in, just kick it in long and high. Yeah. So that would mark it. And Lee, Lee would go, oh, That was an awesome kick. I'm like, Why would a fair bit? But Thanks for marking that, boys. <laughs> yeah, see, we don't quite have that luxury in the old Div 2 reserves. Yeah. If you launch one in there, it usually comes back over your head pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah so if I, I just aim at the goals, if it was straight and long enough, it'll go through. If it wasn't, one of the big sellers would catch it. So it was good. Yeah, okay. And then the next question came from Michael. He said, uh, this was something I do definitely remember you doing quite a few times. What was your favourite time you sold the dummy to the man on the mark and kicked the goal? You used to love the old throw the man on the mark, didn't you? It was, net, it was always last minute decisions. I can't even remember doing it. Like, it was the, like you, I'm thinking I'm running in and I haven't concentrated and watched where the mark is. And he's tricked me and gone back further, but then he's run up. I'm like, oh, no. What am I going to do? I've got to <laughs> go around him. But there was a couple of times. I can't specifically remember any time where I did it. There might have been, I, there might have been a, a time at Brisbane where I did it, but I can't remember who I was playing against. My, my footy career and specific games, there's certain things I remember, but there's a lot of things that have just gone. Yeah, yeah, true. I might try and, um, I'll try and track them down for you, mate, and make a little highlights package <laughs> if you want. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be good. Send them through to the kids so they make sure they're goals, right? Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> Definitely no behinds. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Curious, yeah. Um, and then, mate, so in 2009, you retired after playing 208 games, kicking 138 goals. Um, I just want, like, wanted to ask, how, how do you decide that that's sort of the right time to, time to call it? Or, or what, yeah, what made you decide that? Well, it was just a bit of evidence. For me, like, I was still... Body was still fit and, mm-hmm. and healthy, but Vossi coming in coach, and there's a few other guys 
that he brought in to help with all the coaching. We had just started to change, getting that even more professional yet again. And I was starting to think about bringing this in for eight-hour days and doing homework on this and doing something wrong just thinking this is not for me. Mm. And young guys had come in, like Daniel Richard got to the club and he was gunned straight off the bat. So I was in and out. My last year, I sort of only played about 13 or 14 games. So I was sort of, I was like the old school. He's good enough to be captain of the reserves, but he's in and out of the senior team a bit. So I was like, the writing was on the wall anyway. So I was just like, I'm, I don't want to go to another club. Uh, I was pretty comfortable that I wanted to stay here in Brisbane and live in Brisbane. So there wasn't many options for me anyway. Which mm-hmm. my goal coach down the road, but I just, it was just, I just felt it was time to. Um, I wasn't on big money anyway, so it was time to start thinking about, oh, you've got to do something else outside of footy. And I'd already started doing that the previous years anyway. So, yeah. um, And you can't do both things, unfortunately. So it was time to start concentrating on building and, and getting that underway. Yeah, perfect. Well, Tim, I, um, I have sort of tried to drop a few hints for you, but I guess I'm just better off just asking it straight out. Um when coronavirus is over, are you keen to come down to the Alex Hills Bombers and try and enhance our, our team? <laughs> I had to go and do a um, sports night down there. That is one of the coldest places in Winterhouse <laughs> to go and take a training. Look, you know, it's the biggest oval. My leg wouldn't get me around the ground anymore, I don't reckon. <laughs> I'll, come down, I'll come down and watch yep, we'll a, take game, that. a home game but, uh, and have a few beers in there afterwards, but... You won't get me on the field anymore. I'm too old. Okay. Okay. No, yeah, well, I think we're happy with that. Yeah, we'll take that. That'll inspire us. Uh, uh, you've, uh, you've mentioned a bit about your building there, and I think I believe you've made Brisbane your home now. What's what's life after footy look like for you at the moment now? Yeah, so I've got um, Brisbane is my home, um, Holland Park, so South Florida. Not too far from you boys down at Alex Hill. So. Oh, yeah. Now nice. we've got stuff in the building and carpentry and money. Mainly do um, Queensland uh, renovations and extensions and things. So I've, I've got a little bit on at the moment. That the coronavirus has changed things around a little bit, but yeah. um, I'm just really starting enjoying that. I, I didn't. You sort of up and down when you go through different career changes, whether it's the right thing or not. But I'm only kind of just starting to sink my teeth into it. Really good now. So I'm enjoying the whole process of quoting it, building it. Handing it over to the client. We just handed one over today, actually, to a client in Belinda, and she's beside herself. She loves it, so nah. you get a good satisfaction out of that part of it. Yeah. Um. When when a client loves loves what you've built for, them. and you know, I'm married mm. with four kids. I've got three to my wife, and I've got an older boy as well. So four kids, which keeps me pretty busy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's me. No, we um we actually we're going to sort of bring that up actually, Tim. Like during your time as a line, you sort of started dating your now wife Jody Henry, um, who obviously our listeners would know is a serious athlete in her own right, an Olympic swimmer, obviously. Um, yep. Two two part question here: How with those schedule with your schedules of both being professional athletes, how did you actually manage to meet? Uh, and then secondly, was it reasonably tough to sort of schedule your weekly date night? Well, she yeah it was. Um... So we, we met before um, we started dating through, she was an Adidas-sponsored athlete and um, her management and my management were the same. So we had met a few times for a few little functions and a couple of dinners in Brisbane because she's a Queenslander as well. Yeah. So we met in a couple of lunches early days. Um, 
pre-Facebook and all those sort of bits and pieces, but I probably did a little bit of stalking. Because <laughs> our, our dietitian, Greg Shaw, was a, and he was a swimmer as well. And sometimes you'd leave your phone around, so I'd send a couple of cheeky messages to Jody through his phone because he was a third dietitian as well. So I just said, oh, Tim Hollingsby talking about you quite a bit. Warm, send it through, and he'd be like, what have you done? What have you done? But, Brilliant. Um, Sort of worked out pretty well. So just to, just to put my name up in mind a little bit, but uh, she was in Canberra when we first started dating, so she was living in Canberra. That made it even more hard. Wow, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, so she had a few few functions where we met and the rest is history. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you've, you said you've got four kids now. Are they, have you sort of managed to convince any of them to, to take up footy? Or how are they... How are they? Are they going out your swimming career is coming along? I'm not sure about swimming. That's too many early mornings for you, isn't it, Tim? Oh, I'm up early anyway, so that doesn't doesn't bother bother me. Jody doesn't like to get out of bed at all. Oh right. Um, <laughs> so I think she's doing it now. But I um now they they all do they all do do swimming up here at Holland Park. Uh, they got they're different. The kids are all different. Like my my daughter's uh, very technical. She's got a good stroke, but she doesn't care about it. With my son, who's eight, he's a thrasher. He's super competitive and just wants to win no matter what. Right. So it's a, they're a bit different. And with my little one, he's just, he's just wild. So, but they do play a bit of, bit of footy. They started down at Yeronga playing playing footy, but uh, this this is a year that they were really trying to get into it and have a bit of fun. But they haven't played this year, so yeah, exactly. Just oh, in the backyard. Are we going to see you uh, sort of? Emulate Lee Matthews' coaching career starting at the Yeronga Juniors. Do you reckon, Tim? No, I don't think so. I try and I try and just let um, whoever's designed to coach do all the coaching because you get it's, it's pretty hard because my daughter wants to go and watch her play netball, oh, so okay. you can't connect the coaching room because and it's normally the same time as the footy. So sometimes I don't watch the boys play footy. I'll go and watch her play netball, and then we'll swap. So I can't really commit to. To coaching, but I help out on training nights and roll the balls out and all that sort of stuff. No one knows who I am down there, which is good. Okay, right, awesome. And uh, and you, obviously your first time on a podcast. Uh, any chance that Jody might like to follow in your footsteps? Do you reckon? <laughs> just sort of thinking ahead here, just planning. Yeah, no, actually, I'm pretty sure she would. Yeah, she would mind it. Um, I'll uh, I'll hit her up later on. I'll let, her, I'll let her know. I've just put her in, and she's definitely doing it. So she won't <laughs> yeah, have a choice. She's locked in. <laughs> yeah, outstanding. No, she's pretty good at all that sort of stuff. She's got a pretty. She's starting to to do a little bit in, in um, you know, speaking stuff, and um, she does this elite athlete program at the moment, which has been put on hold. But they got this GMR program, which is pretty cool. Which it's called Gold Medal Ready, where they take certain athletes off and put them through all these stressful situations. And then they got to debrief, and then they got to do it again, and all this sort of stuff with the elite um, commando um, armed force people as well. Take it with the psychologists and sports people, and it's, yeah, it's pretty good. Being an being an Olympic athlete, you got one shot in four years. So if you yeah. shit yourself on a block, it's game over, basically. Yeah, and that's how she puts it. Um, she doesn't normally put it often, but that's how she puts it. Yeah. So if you can put them under these stressful situations more often then they might be able to be prepared for that one shot they get. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a, it's a tough gig. Interesting stuff. Yeah, um, love that. Now, uh, on our podcast, the last few episodes, we've been running a, a Tote 11 segment, which is the, the tightest of all time. Um, so we wanted to ask you, have you played with any teammates over the years who just hate parting ways with their money who, who deserve to be nominated for this tightest of all time 11? Tim, ironically, Sam, who's asking you the question, will definitely be the skipper of that team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I reckon Marcus Haskoff was still at his first paycheck. Um, in Bangor, he was the one that um, there is a boss from Florida. He's wallet every time he owns a bat part. Oh, well, Steve, that hurts. Man, I'm not really sure what happened there. I'm sorry, we've just lost him for a second. Um, I think I may have spilt my Alchemy Cordial drink straight across the roadcaster, which could cause some damage. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. I think I might go and make myself a new drink now that you've, uh, while we're waiting for Tim to get back on the line. And Which one are you going with? I'll try and get him back. Oh, plenty of options. Well, I'm looking at the label here. I reckon they're all the same, but did you know that they're all dairy and gluten-free, contain natural colours and flavours, no emulsifiers, no artificial preservatives or genetically modified organisms? Really? No, I'd never no. read the fine print, so what I don't know it all. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think there's too much in them, but whatever <laughs> is in them, they taste very good, so okay. I'm looking forward to my next drink of Al- Alchemy Australia drink. Mm. Also, speaking of dairy, has I've got this pun to tell you. So there was this guy the other day, and I was in the shops, and he threw margarine at me, right? and I was like, oh, that's weird, but we'll let it go. And then the same guy, next lap, threw milk at me, and I was just like, how dairy? <laughs> oh, good God. Uh, I've got him back. <laughs> Uh, yep, well, we just definitely cut out there, so that's a real shame. But um, sorry sorry to do that to you, Tim. That wasn't on purpose. But you were saying Marcus Ashcroft, uh, definite tote nominee. Yeah, definitely. definitely. We were convinced he still had his first paycheck in, his, in the glove box of his car. And it was always rumoured that you know the, the old moth would fly out of his wallet every time he opened it. Most places are pretty good. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and Tim, just as a, a final sort of thought here, you, you mentioned that uh, your wife Jody's done a few sort of speaking engagements and sporting luncheons and stuff. If uh, if someone was to hire you to do one, do you have any uh, you have any go to stories that you'd sort of find that uh, you know it's just going to bring the crowds back, just entertain straight as soon as you get a public speaking gig? Oh, not a, I'm 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 not a really public speaker. I'm more of a, it'd be more of a question and answer, but I just. Take it back to teeing off on Acker. Everyone <laughs> likes a bag Acker and some of a few um, brownie stories. And yeah, there's a few there's a few funny stories floating around. I don't know if you've been to sports nights with brownie and them, but there's a few funny stories that are fabricated that go around that the crowd gets gets into and they get stretched every time that they go around. But yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Well, mate, uh, we've probably taken enough of your time. We obviously appreciate you uh, coming on and making your podcast debut on the We Got The Chocolates podcast. We appreciate that a great deal. No worries, boys. Enjoyed it. Uh, outstanding. And uh, obviously, we will definitely be in touch. Just we might sort of use you as uh, Jody's media manager in the next couple of weeks as well to make sure we lock in another episode. Yeah, well, I'll clear up now. <laughs> oh, outstanding, Tim. Thanks very much. Bro. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. Cheers, mate. No worries, boys. Thank you. Okay, guys, and welcome back. That was our interview with Tim Nodding. What a guy. Boys, how do you think it went? Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was awesome. I couldn't add too much being... uh 
not yeah, much of an AFL watcher growing up. So, <laughs> That's fine, yeah. Yeah. A very good yeah. left foot kick from what I've seen. It would fit in with the Josh Drummond type of bracket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're still snuck in there with plenty of homework <laughs> on him, Has. Yeah, you do so well with your homework. <laughs> yeah, I did like we to have Thankfully, uh, I didn't think we mentioned who it was, but actually got a no, bit. No, you never even yeah, asked. We didn't, but uh, it was uh, Justin Lefich and, and Simon Black. That was a few Jeez. crucial bits of information there. So Thanks for that job. name drop there, Has. Yeah. That's Maybe perfect. Get back in contact with them, get them on the podcast too. As <laughs> Right. That is the plan. That would be good. Yeah, that's excellent, actually. Well done, Skinner. All right, well, there's always a few things we need to run through post-episode, and I'm not sure what the order of preference is, but probably the first one is wherever you choose to listen to us, whether that be Apple or Spotify, uh, even Stitcher or TuneIn or Google Podcast, uh, please subscribe, and uh, if you can, remember to give us a rating, and then has has something that he's sort of been running that goes on top of that, too. Yeah, we'd love you for you to give us a rating, especially a five-star rating. That'd be awesome uh, just to help us out. But we also want some pretty good comments there. So it doesn't have to be all positive comments. We'd, we'd love you to also spray us and throw a bit of banter and tell us why uh, why Lee's a terrible host. Yeah, why we suck. Yeah. Or, we're always very receptive of feedback, aren't we? Yeah, yeah I think... Constructive criticism. Yeah, I've been asking this for the last <laughs> couple of weeks, but next next episode, we'll definitely will be reading out the best ones we've got there or any ones we've got there because I don't think there's too many, too many sprays on there yet. So we'll no, not yet. That's about to be there. I'm going to write a whole heap from just anonymous sources. <laughs> Very good. Uh, perfect. Okay. Um, the other way, guys, is that we always do encourage you to keep in touch with us. Uh, send us any direct messages uh, on any of our social platforms. And where can people find us there, Skin? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, those sorts of places. You can send us an email at hello at wegotthechocolates.com.au. Yeah. Um, and if you're struggling to find any of those, just jump onto our website at wegotthechocolates.com.au and you'll have nice little links, yeah. nice little, little form you can fill out to send us an email, all that sort of stuff. So. Absolutely. Sign up to the emailing list as well. We love distributing a couple of emails for you as well, just to let you know of really exciting things such as the merchandise that we have on sale. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. We can probably let people know about that. Still got a few few T-shirts and stuff lying around. Hopefully, by the time this comes out, we'll have some more hoodies that we can offer you. Yeah, second um, order so of the hoodies, yeah. guys, going strong. Feel free to jump on on and purchase some of those for us if you don't mind. Mm, not bit. even winter yet either, so yeah. it's a really good signs. Yeah. And get your uh, get your final tote nominations in as well oh, on, the, on the website. Yeah. With the, uh, yes, the audio recording you can send in. Please record a couple more of those. They're again on the website. So, I mean, really, the website's just a hub of activity. You just go there and things happen for you from that point. Um, but we certainly love talking about you guys. Uh, we love talking to you as well. So any great stories that you put in, uh, we will definitely get you on the phone. Um, anything else that we have to summarise? Uh, pretty happy with that, I think. Yeah, I feel like we've done pretty well. Thoughts on um, thoughts on the song that's been playing in the background here, We Could Reach? Mm, not my favourite. Okay, good. We'll I think we have to uh, probably finish with Best on Ground. No, I'll tell oh, you who's no. ruled out again, which yeah. really hurts. Yeah, Lethal's had a mare on the buttons. I'm always yeah. ruled out for the same reason. Yeah. Yeah, well, you've only got one job. <laughs> my one job, you mean press eight buttons at the same time and also turn them all up. I think, I think I'm ruled out for my lack of input uh, in the AFL chat. Uh, uh, but I don't think we can give it to Mitch for three weeks in a row now, nearly would be, wouldn't it? I don't know. But I, surely I, guess I wouldn't argue guess, with it. it? Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd guess probably guess probably to go to Tim. Tim. Especially seeing as though he's going to get his wife to come on the show, maybe, <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, so that's that's right. Right. He's got more guests for the podcast than you have, Skinner. <laughs> 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 so, so definitely, definitely, Tim gets it this week. Um, fantastic, guys! Now watch this really subtle fade out. Oh, jeez, I'm back. That's best yeah, on ground next we week. Go. I would have thought. All right, lock it in. Perfect. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Um, we appreciate you listening. We'll be back same time next week, and good luck in the future. See ya. Bye. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Stops.